Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are looking forward to another exciting episode where you are interacting with us. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program. Thank you so much for giving us another opportunity to get into your homes. You say, I want my question to be completely anonymous. That's not a problem either. You go ahead and at the very beginning of your question, just say, please make this an anonymous question. And we won't even mention what country or what island or what region in the world your area code phone number is from. And we will keep it completely generic and no one will know the question came from you. We want to hear your questions and be able to answer them from a biblical worldview. We will... Start out tonight's episode with some questions that have come in from last week's episode, and then we will jump into any additional questions that come in and some additional teaching material that Pastor has prepared for you. Again, I don't know what the highlight of your week is, but for me, and I imagine also for Pastor Murphy, it is Tuesday evening, and being able to interact with you and answer your questions. All right, we've got a lot of questions here, and so we are going to jump into them. A question from a listener, who will judge the world, God or Jesus? Well, uh, the persons make a subtle distinction between God and Jesus, but remember that um, there is a triune God, and um, we are told several times in the Old Testament that God will judge the world, and then we're given insight into uh, in the New Testament uh, the specifics of that, and we are told specifically that uh, Christ is going to be the person designated to do the judging. If you look at Acts chapter 17 and read verse number 31. Acts chapter 17, and let me scroll down here to verse number 31. 31. That says, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Notice that he has appointed the day in which he will judge the world. So God is the Father, but he has delegated that to his Son, to that man whom he ordained, uh, Jesus Christ, and he has given the assurance in that he is raised him to the dead. So the resurrection of Christ is a confirmation that Christ will judge the world, and he is the designated person that will judge the world. Um, it's also interesting to um, read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 say, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? It's interesting that Jude says, uh, The Lord cometh uh, with the saints to, to judge the ungodly. And he goes on to mention in the book of Jude. And here's where the saints are involved in the whole thing. So uh, it is very, very clear that we will be there judging the world along with Christ. Uh, but that is a revelation that has come in New Testament times. You don't find, that's why I said revelation is always progressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something stated in the Old Testament, but you will never come to a full conclusion about any doctrine or any teaching in the Old Testament because the New Testament is the fulfillment, uh, should I say the progressive fulfillment of all that's in the, New, in the Old Testament. And that's why when it talks about judging, God judging in the Old Testament, it's only in the New Testament we understand the means by which God is going to judge. We are told in Acts 17 by that man, Jesus, and now we're told in, in, in Corinthians that the saints will be part of that whole process of judging. And that's where we, if we don't take and understand the biblical principle of progressive revelation, we can get stuck and think that the Bible is contradicting the Bible. But remember that it is one book, and God progressively reveals to us um, his, his final truth. And that's why you need the New Testament truth to shine light on the Old Testament teaching to get a fullness of knowledge in respect to any subject. And that's where a lot of the cults go wrong when it comes to um, soul sleep and go wrong with respect to the fact that they're going to be annihilated. A lot of that is based on Old Testament passages, but it's only when you come to the New Testament you get the full understanding of what really will take place finally in respect to um, life after death. I'm going to put you in the hot seat here. In relation to sin, uh-huh. off the top of your head, can you recall where the New Testament further develops the concept of sin, or is that pretty well laid clearly in the Old Testament? No, it's laid clearly in the Old Testament because there are several words in the Old Testament, not for sin. There's the word transgression. There's the word defilement. There's even the word missing the mark. Uh, the New Testament takes Greek words uh, to supplement these particular words. But you also got in the New Testament a word for uh, missing the mark. You got one for defilement as well. And um, you got one for transgression as well. But there are other words in the besides these three words that there are more words in the New Testament for sin than there are in for the Old Testament. But the same concept is just that sometimes they expand it and give a different nuance and different insight into the, 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 uh, the extent and the depravity of sin. But basically, the same principle, but with some elaboration in the New Testament. So if you were debating with someone about whether the Bible really had a the Holy Spirit coordinating all the efforts, would this be one of the things you would point to? Yeah. The fact that there's it's no, so- As I said, Nathan, there's no doctrine that you can finally establish by just an Old Testament reference. Take, take the Trinity. Mm-hmm. We read in Genesis 1, and God said, let us make man in our image. And we are told, in the image of God made he him. So you've got a plurality, but get, yes, you've got the singular as well. That doesn't make sense until you get the fullness of revelation related to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So people who say that uh, the Trinity is false 
or just believe in the what is called the unity of God. That is, you know, uh, you can end up where you can see that people can just take that and you can come up to a, a wrong interpretation. But when you take the New Testament light that is flooded on this Old Testament doctrine, which was very vague at, at times, although in the Old Testament I can show you clearly that there are reference to the three persons within the Godhead, even in the Old Testament, but not in the fullness we see it in the New Testament. So I would not suggest that anybody uh, come to a final established teaching on any particular doctrine without taking the New Testament light and shining on that Old Testament truth. So now let me ask you a question I've asked before, but for the listener who's just tuned in, how is that fair for God to have given us in the New Testament time period more revelation, but yet we all, every human being has the one of two destinies that they're going to end up in, heaven or hell. How is that fair? It's it's fair in this sense that we are going to be held accountable for the revelation that he, he gave to us. In other words, we are going to be judged more severely than the Old Testament saints. The more light we have, the more severe our judgment. So we're responsible for the light that God gave us at that time. Clearly, uh, in the Old Testament, those uh, men would not have had the fullness of the Godhead. And God would judge them on the basis of what, what He has revealed to them. So uh, it's not a matter of fairness or not. Well, it's fair in the sense that our judgment is based and contingent on the amount of uh, revelation God has given us the amount of light that we receive. So that's a very simple. For example, take the heathen. Uh, people ask, well, what about a person who um, never heard about Jesus yet? But he has the revelation of creation. How did he respond to that revelation? Uh, so we can't take New Testament truth and judge people in the Old Testament on the basis of New Testament. And by the way, this is the same error. Uh, that is made again and again in terms of, you take slavery, for example, how people take that and use it against uh, the the church. And very, very clearly, um, there's a progressive teaching on that matter. And uh, so you can't use New Testament truth as a basis for for judging people in the Old Testament. Similarly, you can't can't judge the uh, 14th century world by a 20th century mentality. I mean, we've had the gospel now for 2,000 years. Right. You can't judge people who didn't have the gospel, didn't understand the gospel on, on the basis that we understand it today. And that's one of the major errors that I think historians make. They're trying to judge the past by the present. The, and remember that we're only the way we are because of the Christian principles that have been absorbed into Western culture. A lot of what we are protesting today would never have been protested in, in, in previous centuries because we never had that liberty and that freedom, and we never understood the dignity of man and the value of man. And I might say to people uh, that, quite frankly, is very, should be very thankful that uh, we believe in creation, we believe in a God. Because any man that believes in evolution cannot fret about the past because evolution is about the progressive movement of man and what man did in his former stage is because man was at that stage of development. So it offers no moral grounds for judging the, the, the past if you believe in evolution. If you believe in Christianity and believe in the values of Christianity, then you have a standard that you can use. And th- that's why I can't understand uh, all these uh, woke people mm-hmm who have no belief in God and tear down the Bible, yet are using the very principles that are in society as a result 
of the pervasiveness of the Bible and the uh, infiltration of the culture with the Bible, those principles are now held by these guys, but they don't have the base we have. And yeah. they're using those very principles now to undermine Christianity. It's a shocking, <laughs> shocking revelation, and it's so contradictory. But um, I don't even think they understand why they believe what they believe in terms of values and dignity and, and uh, freedom and liberty. All those are biblical principles. Uh, every man is, is, is worth. That's a biblical principle. You can't find it any other place before. The Greeks never had equality. They had classes, right? And, uh, uh, but they never had the idea that everybody were equal. That was not a principle within the, or within the Roman society or any other society before that. But what gave uh, the value to humanity is the fact that they came to understand that every man is created by God in his image and therefore has value. That is where we have this Western idea from. And now it's being used against the church, against the Bible. And I smile when I hear people speak in that way. And I said, do you know where you got those principles from? Mm. Um, it, it doesn't come out of a vacuum, Nathan. It comes out of the Judeo-Christian principles that pervaded Western society. Do you think that's just by coincidence that people are confused and don't understand, or do you think Satan has blinded the eyes of individuals? I think Satan has a lot to do with it, but I think the major problem, uh, to be very honest with you, is our universities. I think that's where a lot of this poison is coming from. All of it is coming from, quite frankly. And I remember that, Nathan, all of the major universities in the world were universities founded to train pastors. And don't ever forget that. All, London, uh, even Cambridge and even London, all of those universities, and the Yale, Princeton, um, Harvard. Harvard, all of those were, were founded to train ministers. Uh, but somewhere along the line, um, they allowed men to infiltrate and began to undermine the Bible, and nobody had the intestinal fortitude to stop it, to prevent it, because in the name of intellectual freedom and liberty. And I think that is to the detriment. Uh, that's what we're having today, quite frankly. And remember that all people from all over the world go to the same universities, quite frankly. Yeah. They want to go to the best schools. And the poison that's there is spread to the, uh, uh, the teaching and then they go back to their country, their points in their country. So we're in a big mess. Unless we can change the intellectual climate and reverse that, um, I don't see how we're going to prevent uh, this poison seeping into society. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. You can also join us for this program on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can watch the program behind the scenes. You can listen to the program, and you can also comment your questions or concerns, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. We have a number of questions that have come in, but before I get to that, let me share the other ways that you can interact with us. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. 268-462-7420. That'll put you live on the air. If you want to WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268 782 one four five four and one other thought before we get to the questions 
When was the last time that you encouraged someone else to listen to that truth? Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a distant relative that lives in the whole other hemisphere of the planet Earth. We would love for you to not keep it as secret, but to share the program with others. We still have an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 12 minutes in this episode, and we are looking forward to your interaction. We have a question that has come in, Pastor. When will Moses, Abraham, and Isaac be judged by God? Well, uh, if you check the scriptures, um, there's not one judgment. Uh, there's the people who believe in the Amil. Um, Normally, say they're going to be uh, two judgments, and every sorry one judgment. Everybody stand before God, and the saved and the unsaved and be separated. But the Bible makes it clear that there are several different types of judgment. There is going to be what is called the judgment uh, seat of Christ, and that is where all the saints are going to be judged. And the reference for that um, is First Corinthians, Second Corinthians five ten. Second Corinthians chapter right. 5 verse and verse 10. 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Right, and then if you want to elaborate on that, if you look at First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 to 15, it explains what that judgment will entail. First Corinthians three eleven to fifteen. Yeah, eleven to fifteen. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon his this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of that what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yeah, that's very, very clear that we are going to be judged, every one of us individually, and it's going to manifest the not the quantity of a work, but the quality, what type of work it is. And that's where motive comes in a lot into this whole matter of what we do for the Lord. But it is clearly there that we are going to be judged, and that which is um, past the test, we receive rewards. That which doesn't pass the test, we'll suffer loss. Um, but clearly there, it is talking about the saints being judged, and that would include all saints standing before Christ. Because remember, he's appointed a day in which he would judge the world by that man, Christ Jesus. And that would include, of course, uh, believers who are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And that would include Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Remember that Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, they look forward to Christ coming, the Messiah coming. We look back on the Messiah has already come. But basically, salvation is the same in the sense that we're all looking forward to Messiah who provide the means of forgiveness and pardon. And uh, it's based on faith. Uh, goes back to um, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God and was counted in righteousness. Salvation has never changed. It's always been on the basis of faith uh, and imputed righteousness. But uh, So that would be the answer that it has to do with the believer's including Old Testament saints standing and giving an account uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Next question, will Mary be judged by God even though she bore the Lord Jesus? Well, it says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I, I suppose Mary is a subset of the all. So if, if it says all, it does not exclude Mary. So Mary is going to have to give an account, uh, just like everybody's had to give an account. The, the, the myth behind Mariolatry is that she is sinless and that um, she never really died. She was taken directly into heaven and she's been enthroned as queen in there. That's one of the greatest mythologies, that uh, religious mythologies that you will ever find. But that is substantially what the Catholic Church teaches. And it's really pathetic that there's so many people without any biblical basis for accepting that teaching have embraced it because it's been a pronouncement of the Catholic Church and approved by the Popery and the Magisterium, and therefore it must be somehow infallibly true. But there's no biblical warrant for that whatsoever. But clearly, Mary, uh, Abraham, uh, Paul, uh, every single one of us. Enoch? Uh, Enoch, all, 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 all people will stand and give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, the Bible doesn't um, exclude anybody from that. And just like all the unsaved, the great white throne judgment in, in uh, Revelation chapter 20, all unsaved people, the dead, uh, those in the sea, those are, uh, um, everyone will give an account before God. But that is the great white throne judgment that have to do with the unsaved, and there will be the judgment seat of Christ that have to do with all saints, Old Testament and New Testament saints as well. Mary will fall into the Old Testament category. Remember the the uh, when Christ was living, the the age of grace and the new covenant did not come into place until Christ died. So she would be a transitional figure between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, so she will stand and give an account as well. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Do you have a question that has come to your mind? We would love to hear it. Send it to us via WhatsApp or text message at 268-782-1454. You say, I want an answer right away. Well, if it is Tuesday evening when you are listening to this, you can get it, Lord willing, almost right away. We will ask it as it comes in. And if you're listening to the rebroadcast on a Saturday or maybe the podcast online, you can still send in your question via WhatsApp or text message to one 268 and we will address it as soon as possible. And for those who have suggested that we explore the option of being able to put your WhatsApp call on the air, I have been doing some research this past week. I don't have all the answers yet, but there's some possibilities out there, and I'm continuing to explore them, and hopefully that will open up even more opportunities for you to call and be put live on the air. If you'd like to call tonight and be put live on the air, you can WhatsApp, or, well, don't WhatsApp, you can call the phone number one 268 462 7420, and that will put you live on the air after you speak with Marianne, who is screening the calls tonight. In relation to judging the world, Pastor, how long will God stay to judge the world? That's our next question. I don't like to enter the realm of speculation, to be honest with you. Uh, All I would say to you, whatever time is required to judge us individually, um, should be sufficient for us. But it is very clear that every one of us will give an account before God. And we don't know the time frame the, the, uh, within which this will be done. 
uh, all we can say is that according to Scripture, uh, everyone will uh, give an account. And however long that takes, um, God will determine. But there will be no exceptions to the rule as far as that is concerned. And one final question that's come in from this individual. At the second coming of the Lord, will there be spectators? Well, it depends on what you mean with the second coming of the Lord. Uh, for example, we know that Christ comes back in two phases. He comes back for his church, which is called the rapture. That's not the same thing as the revelation of the second coming. Uh, when our Lord comes back for the church to be raptured, uh, he comes suddenly, twinkling of an eye, he removes the saints and he snatches them away to glory. Uh, I don't think there'll be any spectators in, in that regard. But very clearly, uh, if there are people living in the old, in the yes, before he's come back after to before for the tribulation, after the church is raptured, there are signs that are mentioned in Matthew chapter twenty-four and Luke that will predate the actual coming of Christ in the clouds in glory, and I suspect that uh, that information will be available to certain people in that time and uh, they may be expecting especially the saints who are suffering during that period of tribulation if they get hold of the Bible they would know that there will be definite signs that they could look for that the Lord is coming is very very near so I suspect those people during the tribulation period who have availability uh, available to the scriptures and who are believers, I suspect that having read Matthew chapter 24 and other uh, gospel writers, uh, they would be probably looking for particular signs that would indicate the very nearness of, of him. I'm saying that, Nathan, to say that there are no signs that we should, we should look for in regard to the rapture. Nothing has to be fulfilled before the rapture. But uh, when Does that make you nervous? Well, it should make all of us nervous because it means that he can return any time. Uh, uh, but again, when it comes to the revelation, when he comes back in the clouds with his saints. Remember, he's coming for his saints first, and then he's coming back with his saints. Uh, it, there are signs mentioned that will indicate that how soon he's coming back. The, the problem with the confusion that people are taking the signs that relate to the second coming when he comes with the saints and saying that those signs relate to when he comes for his saints and they're two different things altogether. So you've got to, if you don't make that clarity, you'll always end up in confusion. By the way, this is what confused the Jews as well, that the first coming will be two comings in the sense that he will come first of all as what? the lamb to die, and then he comes as the lion to rule. Right. And that's where the confusion ended up with the Jews, and they refused to accept the fact that he came as a lamb and still reject him today. We got the same confusion today uh, in respect to the whole matter of the rapture and the revelation. People conflate these two things. As a result, they don't see the clear distinction the Bible makes between these two things. One, he comes for his saints. The next one, he comes with his saints. I mean, it's so very clear on this, 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 this matter. If you want some more detail on the distinction between those and maybe a further explanation of the rapture, you can go to the podcast, That's Truth Podcast. An easy way to get to it is to go to our website, radiolighthouse.org or www.radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large photo that you see. It's a big broadcast microphone. You can't miss it. Right in the middle of the screen, there is a circle and it says podcast. Click on that and then 
you will see a link for That's Truth podcast, and you can go to the archive and look specifically for episode 95, which is entitled Bible Prophecy Part 7, The Rapture Explained. And I believe there are also some other episodes along those lines uh, relating to the second coming and the rapture, and you can search for keywords in the title, and they will come up. And that's not only just a great resource for looking up on the rapture, but maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend from church, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's you that is wanting to research a particular topic. Maybe it's something, a life struggle that you are challenging, or that you are struggling with. Maybe you're struggling with overcoming pornography, and you are looking for help. There are a number of episodes that deal with that topic, as Pastor has put a lot of effort into uh, explaining and answering questions and teaching on those topics. Maybe it's discouragement, being burned out. There are topics about those also. We want to say thank you for listening to That's Truth and also for interacting with us. Go ahead and send in your question here, and you we will continue to ask Pastor your questions as they come in. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454 or call and ask it live on the air, 268-462-7420. Pastor, why do you suppose that so many educated people don't believe the Bible? I mean, it seems like all you have to do is listen to BBC News, and it seems like every day more and more educated people are mocking the Bible. Well, I I must be honest with you, uh, Nathan, from a natural um, human standpoint. Uh, it always puzzles me. I find it difficult uh to understand why so many people, especially intellectual, smart people, are opposed to the Bible. Uh, and I say that because the evidence is so strong and so pervasive uh, that the Bible uh, clearly underscores the fact that this is a, a divine book, it's not just a human book. I'm talking about such things, Nathan, as fulfilled prophecy. I mean, anyone that has done any study of prophecy would know that this is one of the unique features about the Bible. This is not a debatable matter any longer. Um, There's also the incredible typology. I don't know if anybody ever studied typology. The the marvel of how Old Testament truths, uh, um, events and persons and uh, circumstances uh, can be equated with New Testament truth and and portray those truths in a mystical way. I think that is fascinating. The the remarkable preservation of the Bible. Anyone that studies how the the Lord has preserved the Bible, the attempts to destroy the Bible uh, by both religious and non-religious people, government and non-governmental organizations, is a staggering fact that the Bible has been able to survive. Mm -hmm. And then it's unique diversity uh, and unity that you've got 40 writers writing over 1,500 years, but yet there's one consistent theme that is run throughout the Bible. It's all about redemption. From beginning to the end, (coughs) you can trace the whole principle of redemption. And then, of course, it makes a supernatural claims for itself. Uh, it claims that it is inspired, that no scripture uh, is of any human uh, origin. Private interpretation. Private interpretation, that holy men of God speak as is moved by the Holy Spirit. Again and again, the word of the Lord came unto me, etc., uh, etc. Et and then, it's supernatural power. Uh, who can 
deny the power of the Bible in uh, in history, looking at the revivals. I've said many times on this program that it was the revival during the Great Awakening, also during the Wesleyan time, that prevented uh, England from going into the French Revolution style. Uh, it was it was Wesley's re- uh, revival that actually preempted a similar revolution taking place in England. History credits them with that. Otherwise, it would have been a bloody revolution that took place in France. You can think of how they've transformed prisons and the care of what you might call the, the insane, the, the handicap. All of that uh, is a result of the power of the Scripture getting hold of people's mind and giving them a compassionate heart to deal with these people that, quite frankly, society abandoned and had no regard for. And then the archaeological confirmation. There has never been any place in the Old Testament that has been disproven yet. As a matter of fact, archaeologists use the Bible as a base to find where these historical sites were. So the accuracy of the Bible, and then, of course, I could mention the scientific accuracy of it. The Bible talks about the God, God sitting on the circle of the earth. I mean, look for how long. It's only in modern times that you ever believed the earth was wrong. All, all, it was flat. Yeah. Even when Columbus sailed, he believed he would sail off and fall off the, the sea. But again, the Bible has stated thousands of years before, uh, before that, um, that the, the Lord sits on it. And then the amount of, um, for example, the rain cycle. You can find that in Ecclesiastes. Uh, the rivers run into the sea, and then the wind comes up the mountains, and it, it precipitates and comes back, back into the sea. I mean, that's the cycle uh, that is mentioned in the, in, the, in the New Testament. And that is only a modern discovery about the cycle of the, the, the water. And then we can talk about God hanging the world on nothing. That's gravity. But, you know, you check some of these. Uh, the Indians, for example, thought that the, 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 the earth was on the back of a tortoise floating in the ocean. I mean, these ludicrous uh, ideas that come from these other religions, it's so, so, it's, it's so comical. But again, we can, t- as a matter of fact, there's also when they make it the, um, the, the, um, the basin in the temple. I don't know if you know this. But you ever heard of pie? Okay, three point one. Yeah, that is actually in the Bible itself. They've got the, circum- the circumference. They give you the circumference, and they give you the diameter. If you divide the two, it's almost the same. Hmm. All of that is there long before uh, we came up with these, these ideas. So, the, and this this is divine. This is not something that is um, is just can be human. The other thing is that um, a lot of the difficulties that were discovered in the past and the claims that the Bible was contradictory and also the idea that it had mistakes in it. All of those questions have now been answered. Scholars have devoted countless times, there's numerous books that uh, formerly people use against the Bible, but now they've, uh, they've come up with solutions, answers. So that barrier is no longer there. The problem is that some people are still in the time zone. They're still living in a um, some kind of a, uh, a, a, a time frame where they haven't come out the time frame. They were told that when they were in school maybe 40 years ago or 50 years ago, but they haven't advanced to see what the answers were to this. So they keep telling people the same thing again and again because they themselves are still living in the land of stupidity. They haven't gotten any, they haven't grown, and they're just taking what they heard 10 or 15 or 30 years or 40 years ago, believing that it's still true when uh, the evidence has bypassed a long time. So living in the dark ages. The other thing that uh, puzzles me, Nathan, about this is that 
all of the great scientists that laid the foundation for modern science uh, were believers. Uh, for example, Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, uh, Clark Maxwell, Lord Kelvin, Kevin's Laws, uh, Louis Pasteur, that people know about, um, Blaise Pascal, Edison, Kepler, Copernicus. Every one of those names I just mentioned, that anybody has done anything in science, in study of science, know that all of these men were firm believers in the Bible. As a matter of fact, <laughs> they believed because there was a God and the Bible was true. That God had to be rational. And if God is rational, he had to make laws that could make sense. So the pursuit of, for the laws of science was based on the rationality of God and the belief in the Bible. Without that, it would never have happened. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for your calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Judy Panil. Hi, good evening, sir. Fine, thank you, Mr. Williams. What can we do for you? Yeah, uh, two questions during during my time I, I witnessed sometimes I'd have come across some funny people telling me oh since they born the air crisis coming and here come yet. Yeah. And we talking about the world going to end and the Bible talk about world without end. Mm-hmm. So what do we have to say about that? Well, I would just say to people that I would be gracious and thankful that the Lord hasn't returned <laughs> sooner than they think, because a lot of these same people who use the excuse that they heard that for the time they were being born, uh, I suspect that if the Lord had returned, they are not ready. So it's an act of grace. As a matter of Peter gives an answer for that. Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise towards us word, uh, but is long-suffering not willing that any should perish. So his delay is really to create an opportunity for more people to enter the kingdom. That's, that's what Peter says. It's not that he's slack. He made a promise he's returning. But the only reason that he has not returned is because he's providing opportunity for people, as many people, to get on the wagon to glory, as if you want to use that term. So it, it should not be a slander on God that he's delayed. It should be an act of thankfulness that he has prolonged his time for so long. What if he'd come back 15 or 20 years ago? There are many people today that are saved that would not have been saved. What if he'd come back 100 years ago, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that um, that is one. And when it says world without end, by the way, it's an unfortunate translation. It is age without end, not world without end. This world is coming to an end. It's just that the word that is used there is a mistranslation. So it's not that they're saying that the world is not going to come to an end. Uh, the age without, there's an endless age coming, but not that the world is not going to end. So again, this is where an understanding of the Greek language often will bring clarity to a lot of the issues that people are not aware of. Remember that the English translation is what it is, a translation. And remember that it was translated in 1611. Uh, that's what? How many years ago? How many years four, ago? Four, 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 500 years yeah. ago? Uh, language changes. And what one word meant today doesn't mean the same thing uh, uh, yesterday. So some of these words that are used even within the King James need to be uh, re-examined. And that's why I'm for the idea that the translation must be updated. 
the time that words change and meanings change, and we have to change those words. We shouldn't have to, every time we, we find a word in the English language, we've got to go back to some old dictionary, et cetera, et cetera. We should be able to understand what the Bible is teaching. That's what Koine Greek was, the ordinary language of the man in the streets, in the dialect of the man in the streets, so he understood what was written. Um, the idea that, you know, we like this refined English, I don't have a problem with that, but I think that if it obscures the meaning, Meaning is more important than talking about something that is classical or something that is of, of a high high level of, um, of, of of language. But that's my answer to that. Number one, um, they should be thankful that God hasn't returned as yet, and God is going to fulfill His promise. Remember that God promised Abraham that His whole nation would go into bondage for four hundred and thirty years before they be delivered. Now think about that. 430 years uh, after 430 years it was fulfilled but think of the, how long those people had to endure that 400 years of bondage in Egypt, in Egypt but that was a prophecy that was made right and the Lord has promised he's going to come back he's going to come back but the reason for his delay is that he's willing that none should perish and the idea of the word without end is the age without end not word without end this word is going to come to an end and, and one more thing I'm sometimes I, I hear that, I hear Adventist preacher talking about, oh, God is a loving God, he's a jealous God, and he will not He will not let his people in hell forever, so hell is not for, forever. And I know the Bible says hell is forever and ever, mm-hmm. but I don't know what, well, this, where you get a scripture from. The Adventists and the uh, JW, um, remember that they basically came from the same time. And the reason why there's a Jehovah's Witness movement is because Russell did not like the idea of an eternal hell. So he he came up with the idea that they'd be annihilated and so on and so forth. So the, the Jehovah's Witness is actually a response to the biblical doctrine of hell. Seventh-day Adventism, again, uh, same, same type of teaching. Look, I, I don't argue with these people when it comes to these kind of matters. I just go to the Scripture. And the Scripture says something. And what they do basically is to twist the Scripture to, to actually fit into their way, their ideology or their thinking or their philosophy or their, 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 their biblical doctrine. But I can't find anyone who reasonably looks at the Bible and take the use of the word eternal. It says that uh, they'll be going to eternal punishment. The same word that is used there is we're going to eternal life. Same words. It can't mean two different things. Uh, at the same time. So the confusion is not the Bible. The confusion is in the interpretation that people give to the Bible because they have a doctrine that they want to fit, make the Bible fit. It's like the, the people today who are taking the Bible to fit into the culture, like the homosexual movement. They're now changing the idea of what the Bible teaches on homosexuality. When the Bible is so clear on this matter, but they're reinterpreting the Bible to fit into the culture. What those people have done, that they're interpreting the Bible to fit into their particular line of doctrine. They're not going to the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself. That's where the error falls in. And Adventists are wrong on that subject. Uh, the Jehovahists are wrong on that subject as well. There is, uh, Revelation said, and they shall be tormented day and night unto the ages of the ages. I don't think you can get any clearer than that in the book of Revelations. So, and then in Revelations, the beast and the prophet are cast in before the thousand years of tribulation uh, of, of the millennium. After the thousand years, they're resurrected. The Bible said they're still alive, right? Uh, so it, it's, it's either the Bible or human reasoning and, and human opinion. And for me, it's the Bible and not human opinion. 
Brother Williams, thank you very much for your call. We appreciate you listening, encouraging others to listen, and thanks for interacting with us. If you have a question that you would like to ask on That's Truth, go ahead and send it in via WhatsApp or text message to 1-268-782-1454, or you can call and ask it live on the air. The phone line is now open, available, and waiting for your call, 268 268- 462-7420. That'll put you live on the air. Two questions that have come in during that call. Pastor Murphy, is Mary responsible for all righteous living for today? I don't know who could believe that. I mean, is that a real question? Well, I would say to that person, <laughs> you have so idolized Mary that you've, you've given Mary the place of God. That's the place that Jesus, people are righteous today because of Jesus Christ, not Mary. Mary has nothing to do with people being righteous today. So I'm a shocker that anyone would suspect that Mary would be responsible for righteousness uh, in anybody's life. God has provided, there are two righteousness, human righteousness where we try to get righteous by our own works, our own effort, and the righteousness which God has provided in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to decide which you want, human effort, human works, or the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to the believer. But Mary has nothing to do with anybody's uh, righteousness today. It all has to do with Christ and Christ alone. And that's the idolatry of Mariolatry, see? That people would put Mary in place of Jesus and give her the credit rather than give... In other words, Christ is the preeminent person that we should be absorbed with. Mary is just a shadow. Christ is a substance. Uh, And I hope whoever wrote that... uh, question would examine the Bible for itself and see if there's any mention anywhere in the Bible about Mary and righteousness. It's not there. But I, I would I would suggest to you that take Christ and look at righteousness in relation to Christ and you'll see countless passages that make it quite clear that Christ is the righteousness of God that is available to us. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at org. We have another question that's come in from St. Martin. Good evening. What does it mean by the sons of men, especially in Genesis 6? Well, we've answered that question before in another program, but let me just suggest to you that if you take the word sons of uh, men, sons of men, you said? Mm-hmm. Well, the sons of men would be uh, normal human beings, um, people born with a natural process of um, male and female cohabitating uh, uh, together and producing a child. That's what the sons of men are. It's, uh, and by the way, remember the emphasis in the Bible is on the, the, in the genealogy and the lineage that it comes through the male. That's why there's that emphasis, because the Messiah had to come through a particular line, and he had to be a male figure. But that's what the sons of men refer to, uh, naturally born children of men. Uh, of, um, of, men. of course, it's using a generic term. Men don't produce children. Women do, but mm. that's a generic term for referring to sons of humanity. That's what it's referring to. Yeah, so I was just skimming through Genesis 6 trying to review what it, but that's talking about the, the yeah, daughters. Yeah, the sons of, of God. Now, that's yeah. what I thought he meant, the sons of God. Now, yeah. that's a different thought altogether. Sons of God, if you trace that in the, in the Old Testament, uh, after that next reference, you'll find it refers to, in Job, it refers to the angels. And that's where I said we, we dealt with that before, that there was some kind of cohabitation between 
the uh, the natural ancestors of humanity and these fallen angels that created a Mongol race called the Nephilims. And that's where I, I told you that all of these stories, mythological stories about uh, giants and and uh, people of uh, unusual gifted and power, I think that's that's where all that mythology came from. But there's some historical basis for that mythology, and I think Genesis provides that answer. Anything else you want to mention going back to your topic about why educated people don't believe the Bible? Yeah, I was just laying the foundation why they should believe, to be honest with you, and then I'm coming to why they don't believe. But So I was mentioning the fact that there's so much uh, evidence uh, to substantiate the Bible as the Word of God. I also mentioned the fact that um, countless biblical scholars have no refuted and answered the questions about contradictions and mistakes and provide adequate answers for those who had some mental hiccups at some point in time. And then I mentioned the fact that uh, modern history is made, was founded based on uh, Christian scientists who laid the foundation of modern science. The other thing I want to mention, Nathan, that there are thousands of advanced, uh, with advanced degrees and PhDs today who hold to the Christian truth. I mean, thousands of them. I could, uh, in the next program, give you a list of 50 PhDs, uh, all advanced, who, who hold to this. So so I'm just saying that it's not a matter of, um, what I'm saying, it's not a, a, a rational problem because you can't have thousands of PhDs believing in something if it's irrational, quite frankly. Right. So that's my, what I'm trying to point out. And the other thing is this, uh, the movement away from evolution is, is is becoming very strong now, and they're not talking about intelligent design. There's still the evolutionary propaganda that is trying to suppress the fact that scientists are now moving to intelligent design after the deciphering of the DNA, and they realize there's so much information in the DNA. It's not it's not it's information in sequence. It's not ad hoc information, and they can't, they're puzzled how this information is in this particular sequence. Uh, this has caused them to realize that there had to be some kind of a design. This is not accident or random coming together, uh, etc. And I think, Nathan, the reason why a lot of these intellectuals find it difficult to embrace the Bible is because, to a great extent, evolution has ruled the day in all of the major schools of the world since the 1980s. So every person going into school from the 1980s until now have been fed one thing. And it's not just in the universities, the colleges, in the high schools. And that is what has created this uh, this strong antipathy towards the Bible. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. But let me uh, give you a biblical answer now. and um, Look at Matthew 7.14. Matthew 7.14 reads as follows, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Yeah. So what it is saying basically there, that there's a moral blindness in humanity, and that moral blindness can only be lifted when they see that Christ is the way. Narrow is the way. He is the one. So I think that because of the fall of man, Man has this blindness about spirituality and this blindness about morality. I think that helps to explain. And, and remember, the fall did not only affect man's um, 
it affected his mentality as well, the mind. The entire person of humanity has been uh, is depraved. It doesn't mean that it goes to the worst extent, but it simply means that it tarnishes this tinge with, with sin, and this helps to uh, blind people intellectually. The other verse of Scripture I think is important in this, and so it's 1 Corinthians one twenty six. 1 Corinthians one twenty six says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Again, God calls people to repentance. But a lot of these intellectuals are so proud and so arrogant that he bypasses them. But it's very clear that not many mighty not many noble. Uh, this is the aristocrats of this world, the kings and the queens. How many of them you know are saved? How many of these so-called wise people who uh, take professorships in universities that lead science departments and technological departments, how many of those are, are saved? Uh, the fact is that their human, their pride is a barrier to, to their humility, which, and remember, you must become humble to become a Christian, which brings me to Corinthians 3.20, 1 Corinthians 3.20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, they are vain. Again, you read uh, Romans, uh, when they knew God, they glorified not, but became vain in their imagination. This is human speculation, at least of vanity. The Bible talks about that. It's not that man doesn't have access to God, and God hasn't revealed himself in natural revelation, but man in his speculative thinking and wanted his mind to be autonomous and don't want to be held accountable to a God. That human autonomy drove man away from, from God and uh, led man into vanity and emptiness. I hear, do not know of anything that is a more fictitious hoax than evolution. How in the world any sane, rational, thinking person could have em- embraced evolution puzzles me. A man can look at himself and just say, it happened? I <laughs> Totally impossible. You study one single um, cell in your body and understand the the complexity of it and the amount of information in one cell of your body, and you would have to be a, a, a clung to come to the conclusion that it, it, it just happened. Nothing just happens. Uh, and, and this is where I think that uh, that's why um, it's the greatest hoax. But yet, for somehow, uh, men bought into it. And uh, I don't want to go to Ravi Zacharias because he has now been defrocked somewhat and uh, a lot of things have. But he wrote a book, Why Man, uh, Can Man Live Without God? I never forget this. And he pointed out, and he has the quotation from these guys that Julius Huxley and his brother and all of those that belong to that inner circle of scientists at the time of when evolution was popular. They all said that we push evolution because we wanted to be immoral. We know if there was a God, uh, we would be held morally responsible and we would have to deal with guilt. So the way to get rid of guilt and be able to just live as we please, we had to push evolution. That's a self-confession of these men mm-hmm. who deliberately embrace evolution because they want to live wild lives. And remember that these guys as well involved in exp- um, experimenting with, with these drugs, psychedelic drugs. It's these guys that started this drug movement, not the Rastafarians or these um, Jesus people in the 60s. It's these top-class guys that started experimenting with drugs and pushed drugs. But again, it was all done in the name there's no God. Uh, evolution is true, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think that's another basic principle. And here's another one, Matthew 18.3. Matthew 18 and verse 3. And said, 
Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is the fundamental problem that these intellectuals have. Humility. To humble themselves before God. And uh, they want to be autonomous, self-independent, uh, in control of their lives. They don't want to be uh, under the the scrutiny of any God and held accountable to any God, etc., etc. And this has pushed them to that. So the cancer of pride is actually the cancer of unbelief. It morphs into unbelief. And the, this is the reason why there are so many people who are highly intellectual. They would not humble themselves before God in the Word. And they would not even do the investigation to find out what's the real support. A lot of these guys are regurgitating, parroting what they heard in college. They had never thoroughly investigated whether there's a basis of the Bible being the Word of God or not. And if there's scientific evidence in the Bible that it was way in advance. They've never done the investigation. They're just regurgitating what they've heard. And it will take a, a matter of humility to come down from the high pedestal and then to start searching and seeking to get answers. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 827. We're broadcasting on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. And if you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454. There's one last verse I think is significant, Nathan. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 4. says... In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Yeah, this darkness within the intellectual um, intelligentsia and this elitist group of um, smart people is not limited just to human agency. There is a supernatural uh, sinister being at work uh, trying to keep people in darkness. And there's no question at all that he is the agent working behind the scenes, incognito, because they don't believe he exists. And when you don't believe something exists, you've opened yourself actually to to, um, to his uh, temptation and uh, to blindness. So there is an element, a supernatural element involved where Satan himself is trying to keep men in darkness in regard to the truth. And uh, the Bible takes the veil and shows man is not just a human problem. There are supernatural agents involved in keeping people in darkness as well. Pastor, do you really believe that there is spiritual warfare, that there are things going on that we can't see? I mean, hasn't science <clears throat> proven that we understand what's happening? Well, look... Uh, Anyone looking at this world, living in my generation, uh, in my time, uh, we're seeing things that if you had told me that 15, 20 years ago, I would tell you impossible, right? Uh, And clearly there is something going on that is beyond just, this is not just human. This is something that is, there's a spiritual battle going on. There's no question about that. Uh, how can any man believe that he's not a man, he's a woman? How can any man believe he's not even a man or woman, he's something else, right? And really, really, uh, and people, I'll get the other people that believe that as well. <laughs> how can any man believe that a man can marry a woman, a woman can marry a woman? Uh, why would any government that have any sense of morality, any sense of decency, would allow a homosexual to adopt a child? 
That makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Right? I mean, do you not care about this? Why would you allow doctors to operate on, on children that are minors to transgender them? Uh, this doesn't make any sense to me at all, right? So something is going on. I think there's a, a moral collapse and catastrophe that's going on that is more than just something human. And I think because the Western world has pretty much abandoned its base, the Judeo-Christian principles, it has now opened itself it doesn't seem to know what is right, what is wrong any longer. It doesn't know what is what is good, what is decent any longer. It has now found itself that it has no basis, no absolute standard to say that this is right, this is wrong. And so what they've got now, they don't have a transcendent group of principles to govern and to help them to govern the morality of a nation. Uh, all they're left is to themselves. And man is a fallen being and a fallen creature is so depraved that he himself uh, now is open to accept what anybody says. Who am I now to judge you? Who am I to judge you? I'm like you. I'm as depraved as you. So if I want to live my depraved life, why should I put curtail your, your, your depravity? That's where we are today. And I think behind all of this is, and the other thing, Nathan, is the, you cannot explain the, the thorough charge of sexuality. That and, and by the way, I mean, I don't see these things. But the amount of these things available on the internet, I am told, is is, is astounding. How have people that all that seem to matter is sex, and not just normal sex, kinky sex, perverted sex? This that the whole world seems to be centered on this, right? It's not about purity and living my life a certain way, so that when I come to the altar, I give myself to my 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 mate, pure. That is like fiction today. And how can women be so loose? Now, I, men have always been loose, but women are just as loose today. How how did we get here? Right? There is a demonic power uh, that is bringing this world to its final catastrophe. And by the way, Ephesians 6 talks about that. We rest not against flesh and blood, but against principality and powers, the rules of darkness, etc., etc. So the Bible tells us that this is an ongoing warfare, but I think we are seeing it in a in a way that we've never seen it before. And um, clearly this battle is not just a human battle. Uh, there are forces at work, infernal forces at work, trying to bring man uh, to his ultimate destruction. Here's a question that has come in. Will the world eventually be destroyed by a nuclear holocaust? Uh, look, ever since they had the Hiroshima and the Nikasaki, when uh, America uh, bombed uh, those um, Japanese islands, the world became terrified of nuclear power. Uh, I remember during the 60s, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't know the world, if you've seen the documentary of that, the world were minutes away from a nuclear war, literally minutes away from a nuclear war. Mm. Uh, I remember seeing a documentary of that, and uh, there was a conversation even about the, the, the Russian person who was in charge of the sub and stuff like that. And quite frankly, you were minutes to, to the nuclear war. And then during the Cold War, uh, people were on edge, weren't sure what would happen, etc., etc. So this has... Uh, but then you had the Berlin Wall come down uh, in the 80s, and you had the... Uh, quite frankly, now the this whole thing ended, quite frankly, between America Cold and uh, the Cold War ended. Uh, but what has happened now, Nathan, is that you've got the war going on in Ukraine. You've got um, Putin moving 
nuclear missiles in certain locations. He's threatening to use nuclear weapons. The world, again, is on edge in, in that regard. Uh, uh, I think Putin is such a proud man. I really think if he was feel that he, Russia was going to defeat, I really believe that he would use it. I really believe that. I think he's too proud not to, to- take something like that. You've got uh, China, who wants to take over Taiwan. And, of course, uh, there'll be a great battle there with that involved. The world is on. And then you've got the rocket man in North Korea that is still shooting missiles over Japan. Now, that's a serious matter. Yeah. Can you imagine if one of those, something happened and go off course and land in Japan, what that means? Yeah. And that's a very real possibility. Again, you've got this whole thing. And then, of course, Iran, yeah. uh, pursuit of nuclear war and uh, nuclear weapons. And they just discovered a certain level of uh, uranium they just inspected, and it, it is of a quality that has got them wondering uh, how this happened. And they're saying that some confusion happened. But again, we know that Iran will always pursue that. As long as Israel has the bomb, Israel is going to pursue the bomb as well. And then, of course, um, the whole state uh, of the confusion of the world today, I think there's a matter. But fear of nuclear um, weapons is something that is very real because if you look in the Bible, uh, one of the passages that seem to indicate that there will be some kind of a nuclear conflagration uh, is Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. I think if you, I mean, you can't use scientific language, but I don't think there's any better language that will uh, give us an idea of the cataclysmic destruction of a nuclear explosion than this one. But notice what it says there in Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Yeah. Key words here, Nathan. You see the word element? That's the same equivalent to what we call the atomic table with all these elements. That's the same word as you did. In other words, it's the, it's the last, uh, how shall I put it? If we could divide matter. It's the building blocks. Yeah, yeah, defi- yeah of any particular uh, element. That, so it's talking about the actual elements. And we know that elements are made of what? Electrons. Protons. Protons and Neutrons? Neutrons, quite frankly. and we, we But these are going to melt. The elements are going to melt. So something's going to happen. And, uh, of course, I, I think you might know this, that scientists are baffled about what keeps the atom together. They don't have an answer for that. You know, the, the electrons are circling around. We know you've got protons on the inside, and you've got neutrons on the inside in the nucleus. But here's the problem. The protons are all positive. And we know in science that positive, what? Reject positive, it push against each other, but they can't understand how you can have the positive in the center of the of the uh, nucleus. What keeps them together? That's the mysterious nuclear power uh, energy that they don't understand. What is holding this thing together? Uh, and of course, we'll find out exactly what is holding that together. But it seems as though that power that's holding this together was just going to release, and then you have this 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 uh, this explosion. The other thing it says melt. Uh, break apart and then pass away uh, pass out of sight and then it says heavens they're referring to the sky and the air and said with a great noise and fervent heat Uh, I don't think there's a a better description anywhere in any book outside the Bible 
that would give you a modern concept of what it, nuclear energy would look like. But the point that needs to be made, Nathan, that it does clear seem as though there's going to be a, some kind of a nuclear explosion that will completely destroy the whole world. It is not going to happen by man. Okay. It's going to happen by God. That's the point of the passage of Scripture. So Read what is again. the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord. That's when it's going to happen. So we don't have to fear that the world is going to be destroyed by nuclear power. God is the one that's going to finally bring this judgment upon planet Earth. So the answer to the question is that it's not man that's going to, to do it. But here's an interesting thing, Nathan. For 1,900 years, that was in Peter's Bible long before we understood what nuclear power was and how powerful it could be. And, and to my mind, this is another indication of the advanced knowledge of the energy within the atomic bomb, within the atom, that we're in advance of, of the standards. So something... Now, what holds them together? Uh, read Second Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So what we have today is being preserved, being conserved until that particular time. So something is holding these things together. That's the point I'm making. You know, the idea that God just created the world and left it out there, and the world is just operating on the basis of, of, of laws and principles, it doesn't give you the full understanding of what the Bible teaches in this whole matter. Uh, let's go to uh, Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory... And the express image of his person, the upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He holds all things together. Right? That is, This is the person of Jesus Christ. He keeps all things together. The force that, this nuclear force that they're talking about, is not a nuclear force, it's a supernatural force that's keeping this whole thing. But when he takes his, his power off, Everything disintegrates. Look at another verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Colossians 1, 17 says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Yeah. He, consist means to hold together. All things are held together. In other words, as we sing a song when we were young, in his hand he has the whole world. That's basically what the Bible teaches. It's, this world is God's world, and if God will take his hand off planet Earth, everything goes to pieces. It's not just because we've got the laws of gravity and the interaction between these uh, material forces that keeps it there. God keeps this in, in thing. And so there is seems to be that there's going to be a final a conflagration that where the whole world disintegrates and new heaven and new earth will take place. But that will not be the work of man. That will be the work of God. And could I say this? We don't have to worry about the um, the climate change destroying planet Earth either. That's not going to happen. Okay, God is the one that is going to bring about the destruction of planet Earth. Uh, finally, not, not humanity. So don't panic on, on these matters uh, and don't buy into the narrative that Antigua is sinking into the sea because of climate change, etc., etc. That's a myth, a, a myth that has no, no biblical support. A question that has come in from a listener. How can we say Mary was just a vessel used by God when God said she was highly favored by him? 
Yeah, but we are also favored by God. Abraham found favor in the sight of God. Uh, Enoch found favor in, um, in, the, in the eyes of God as well. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Same word. There's nothing unique about the word favor. Uh, so I don't see the argument there. Uh, we ourselves have found favor. The word favor means grace. Every one of us who are saved have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So it's not just Mary who found favor. We have found favor. Abraham found favor. Noah found All the saints of God have found favor. We have found grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's nothing unique about uh, Mary finding favor. How can I, you said those who are saved have found favor. How can I become saved? How can I become a Christian? There's so many different terms out there today. How can I have a right relationship with God? Well, let me just say this, Nathan. The Bible said the grace of God have appeared to all men, Titus, and it refers to the fact that Jesus Christ came and he died for us. So God showed his favor, and he extended that favor to all men by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. What we need to do is to respond in humility to God's provision. And that's where we need to humble ourselves and understand that there's no such thing as auto-salvation. We can't save ourselves. Uh, We need a Savior. That saving power is outside man himself, but that saving power was provided by, by, by God himself in sending his Son to die on the cross for us. And what we need to do is to be willing to humble ourselves, accept that we are creatures made in the image of God that have fallen, that we've sinned against a holy God uh, by choice and by will, and that we need pardon and forgiveness, and we want to return to relationship with God. And that brings us to the point where we need to repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ. When that happens, God shows us his favor and gives us eternal life. Thank you for each question that has been sent in tonight. We appreciate your interaction. We've got about 14 minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. That's still plenty of time for you to call and ask your question live on the air. You can call 1-268-462-7420. Again, 268-462-7420. Call and ask your question, but go ahead and call quickly while we still have time in the program. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Anything else you want to mention on Holocaust, Pastor? No, I, I just wanted to say this, that um, you know the Bible doesn't employ the technical jargon that scientists use today. We need to understand that. So the language that uh, Peter would use is language that would have been used back in those days. And that's why I'm saying to you that uh, the technical language that you would use for nuclear exposure, you're not going to find that in, in, in the Scriptures, but the expressions that are used clearly uh, seem to indicate that this is what uh, Peter has in mind. Uh, that's what I would like to say. So you must not judge the Bible. You can't expect a book that's written so long to uh, to use the the same normal modern-day jargon that is used within uh, the scientific community. Just for clarification, that phrase, the day of the Lord, that's used there in Peter, where in the timetable? You got the rapture, you got the second coming, you got the tribulation. Where does that all fit? The day of the Lord is the same day spoken above in Joel and all the Old Testament prophets. That has to do with the second coming. It has nothing to do with the rapture. Okay. Remember that the rapture is was a mystery. And as Paul said that the Lord has revealed these mysteries to his apostles. Um, there's a hint of the rapture, as I mentioned before, removed from planet Earth without dying. Nobody would have understood this is what would happen to the church. 
is only when we come to the Pauline writings in Corinthians uh, 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we are given insight into the mystery that the Lord is going to come back for his church and we who are alive and remain will not prevent those who are dead rising first. They will rise and then we shall be changed and then shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. It is called in the, in the Greek language, caught away. We use the word rapture, but caught up to be with the Lord. Um, but the second coming has to do when, when he comes with his saints. And that goes back to Jude, which said, The Lord cometh uh, with thousands of his saints to judge the ungodly, we call it ungodly speech against uh, four different times. Jude, uh, um, Jude talks about the ungodliness of the, of the generation that when the Lord returns. That is what is meant by the day of the Lord. The Old Testament saints and Old Testament prophets all spoke about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment upon planet, upon planet Earth. None of them spoke about the rapture. Why? Because Paul said it's a mystery hidden from the ages, but now revealed to us through the apostles, right? So that's the difference between the um, day of the Lord and the rapture. The day of the Lord, would that coincide more than with the Battle of Armageddon? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That is a tribulation period. When the church is raptured, you've got a seven-year tribulation period where God judges the world and judges the nation Israel. Don't forget, Israel has to be purified. And uh, the day will come when Israel realize that they have really crucified the Messiah and they're going to repent and you're going to have a repentance of the nation. Paul talks about that in the book of uh, Romans chapter 11. But um, but that has to do with the Lord coming back after the tribulation period. Was the biblical flood a worldwide <clears throat> flood or just merely a local flood? Well, I think if you take the Bible itself without being influenced by modern thinking, especially evolutionary thinking, which is based on what is called uniformitarianism, which believes that what they do, Nathan, is that they look at uh, a river and they calculate that within a year there's so much erosion out of that river. Mm-hmm. So they use that criteria as a basis to calculate every form that they, they, they see. And uh, so they, 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 they think that everything was the same way. Uh, again, but when you come to the Bible, everything isn't the same way like it is today. Uh, the Bible talks about a flood that completely covered the whole world. And the way you explain the Grand Canyon and those kind of deep is not... And, and by the way, that's how they come up with millions and millions of years because if they use the normal way of attrition today and apply that to the Grand Canyon, they come up with millions of years. So it fits into their ideology and their geological uh, time frame to take the evolutionary principle of uniformity and apply that to the past but that's assuming that the past was always as it is in the present and we know that was not so even the scientists say there were uh, cold ages etc 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 but um, when you go to the Bible Nathan um, more than um, many statements in Genesis uh, make it clear that this was not just a a flood let me give you one other one one quick one that would show that it could not be a local flood when the Lord gave the rainbow, what was the promise? 
he would never flood the world again. Yeah. So if he, if it was a local flood, it means never send a local flood. Mm. I mean, the, the logic is so ridiculous that it doesn't make any. The reason why he said he will never destroy the world again with a flood is because that's what happened. Yeah. But it was a local flood. We've had many other local floods yeah. since then. So he's broken his promise. So even that is, is, is a, uh, shows you how s- silly uh, the, the the teaching is. But let's let's do to, uh, a few things here. Look at Genesis six seven. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Okay, read verse 17, same chapter. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. From the hev- from under the heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. Look at verse twenty-two. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Yeah. So the flood basically, basically is to destroy all life. Period. All life under heavens. Very very clear. It's not just a local flood. Wherever there's life, it's going to be destroyed. That's the. So when you look at the purpose of the flood, it's not a localized flood that will destroy only what's in Palestine. It will destroy all, all life on the heaven. So the first argument uh, that, this, that tells us that this is a universal flood is the intent of the flood. Um, also look at uh, Genesis 6.13 again. Read that. <clears throat> Genesis 6.13 says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence, through men, through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Yeah. So he's going to destroy humanity, but it's not just humanity he's going to destroy. He's going to destroy what? The earth. The earth, not just Palestine either. The earth is going to be destroyed. Um, language, if it speaks anything, this language is very, very clear that this is something global. This is not just something to a particular uh, geographical lo- location there. Um, then look at Genesis uh, 7, 19, and 20. 7, 19, and 20. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the hev- and the mountains were covered. Okay, so you got all the mountains covered, 15 cubits. A cubit, as you know, is 18 inches. So you multiply 15 by 18. The water went above every mountain. Uh, again, uh, it is very, very clear that uh, the flood covered all the mountains. Uh, that's the language of the Bible. This cannot be a local flood, uh, if that were the case. The other thing is, um, if you look at Genesis seven eleven, and then look at Genesis eight thirteen. 7.11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of the heaven were opened. What was the other passage? And then uh, chapter 8, verse 13. And it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up, from upon the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Point I'm making there, it took a whole year 
for the water to dry up. Wow. Okay, it can be a local flood, okay? Uh, that's the point I'm trying to, to, to make there. Uh, the other thing is the, what is called the, the volume capacity of the flood, of, of the arc. I am told by those who have done this study that the arc itself would be equivalent to 500 standard railroad cars, okay? Now, if it was just a local flood, that's superfluous, to be very... Imagine 500 of the, And remember, when you look as bigger than this, this, this inside here. Imagine 500 of those. Why would he need 500 of those if it was just a local flood to just take two animals from that particular uh, uh, location? So when you look at the, the, the very volume uh, of the, the arc itself, it shows you that it could not be a, a local flood that was being dealt with. We have. Uh, uh, I'm going to interrupt you just sure. a minute. question that's come in, Pastor. What does the Bible say about Christians wearing jewelry? Uh, the biblical teaching on it, if you take it in a, a very literal sense, it would um, maybe you should look at it. But it's, it's in Peter, uh, where it says, um, "Not with um, jewelry and, and and garments, or costly garments, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. The point of the passage is not that you can't wear garments. So it can't be that you can't wear garments, okay? And, and it can't be that you can't wear jewelry either. What is talking about is the extravagance. Uh, extravagance. And this is where um, modesty becomes the principle and trying to not draw attention to yourself. You must be self-effacive. That's why the Bible talks about self-denial. But a, a person who concentrates on making themselves the center of the party, the center of the church, and when they walk into the church, they got ten rings, five on each finger, they got five on each toe, they got an ankle bracelet, they got their hair up like a mountain, they got uh, artificial eyebrows, um, they, they got, I mean, you, you just name it, and then the, the garment, uh, is not modest. That's what the Bible is talking about. But when it comes to the amount of jewelry, there's nothing wrong in wearing a watch, nothing wrong in wearing a ring, nothing wrong in wearing an earring if you want to wear an earring. It's the amount of extravagance. You don't have to wife wear five rings. You don't have to wear th- uh, a dozen bangles. Uh, you know, you just want to be modest, etc., etc. You don't want to draw your attention to yourself. But that's the basic biblical principle when it comes to jewelry. Some churches have gone to the extreme to say, well, it means you can't, you can't wear any kind of jewelry. Again, I would challenge you to read the passage. I don't have it before me in Peter. Uh, and you'll see that if it is due, you can't wear any jewelry, you can't wear any, any, any garments either. So, and that doesn't make any sense. He's talking about extravagance uh, and, and, and being outlandish in how you dress and how you act, etc., etc. In other words, you should not dress to attract attention to yourself. You know, and if you're doing that on a constant basis, you're egotistical, you're proud, and uh, you need to humble yourself and, and become a modest person. In the last couple of minutes of this episode of That's Truth, Pastor, anything else in relation to the flood being a universal flood instead of just a local flood? Um, I would just like to say that our Lord himself believe in the flood. Uh, he made it very clear uh, that he uh, supported the fact that what happened in Noah's day, he says, is going to happen again. There's going to be this coming destruction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and there are many biblical writers who accepted the flood historically as a worldwide flood. And I can give you several passages to deal with that. Um, look at First Peter three twenty. First Peter three twenty says, "Which sometime were disobedient." 
When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Again, I mean, it's very, very clear that Peter believed there was a flood, there was an ark, and only eight people got saved to the ark. I mean, you, if you deny the flood, you're actually impugning the, the, the witness of Peter to that matter. Um, look also at Second um, uh, Peter 2.5. But let, let's let's look at Hebrews eleven seven. All right, Hebrews eleven seven. I'll see if I got time to pull this up. Hebrews eleven and verse number seven says, "By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which the condemned world, and became heir of the righteousness." which is by faith. That's the biblical witness, and that's a Pauline witness to the flood. So you can't dispute that the flood actually happened. Uh, the Bible is very clear on this subject. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Be sure that you tune in next week for another episode of That's Truth, and we will continue to answer your questions. In the meantime, if you have a question, send it to us via WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.